I'm Sheila Vashi, an investor at Basiset Ventures, an early stage venture capital fund investing in founders that transform the way people work. I'm excited to bring you Hypergrowth, The Early Years, a show that dives into the strategy, channels, and hires that kickstarted the growth journey of the most successful companies. Hey, folks. I have been so excited for this day. Uh, we are welcoming Kyle Parrish to the show. Kyle is currently the head of sales at Figma and was one of the earliest hires on the across the go-to-market teams there. And prior to Figma, Kyle was a sales leader at, at Spoke and an enterprise sales and partnerships leader at Dropbox, where he worked for over five years. And that's actually where we first met. I was lucky to meet Kyle in the early days of Dropbox. So, Kyle, I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you, Sheila. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, I loved your show and seeing some of the other incredible guests you've had. So it's uh, it's great to now be one. Well, Kyle, flattery will get you everywhere uh, <laughs> in, in the podcast game. But uh, but seriously, though, you've had such varied experiences across the companies you've worked you've worked at. Tell us a little bit about your trajectory and how you chose the companies that you did to work for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I uh, graduated from college. I went to school in uh, Arizona originally and knew I wanted to move to San Francisco and, and be in the Bay Area. And when I graduated, it was in the middle of 2008. And as many remember, who were already in the workforce. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the best time to be looking for your first role out of college. And so a friend I actually grew up with uh, and went to Berkeley and then gotten a job for ADP, the largest payroll and HR provider uh, here in the U.S. And so I actually started my sales career for them, uh, working with a lot of companies in the small to medium-sized uh, space. There were actually startups in San Francisco. And when I originally moved to San Francisco, I was very intrigued and interested and uh, didn't know if it was exactly going to be tech, but wanted to be on the fringe of some of these cutting-edge technologies and, and businesses that were growing and, and kind of spurning here in the Bay Area. And so as uh, as a sales rep at ADP, I got a chance to work with a ton of companies, the likes of, you know, Dropbox and and Figmas and and uh, those when they were 50 employees and less. When I was doing that, I got the opportunity to get to know the companies really well. And some companies offered you jobs when you're in a sales position and they were hiring for their sales team. And, you know, you got to know them so well that uh, you realize that they may be the environments that you didn't want to be a part of. And others, actually, a friend had Dropbox as, as one of his clients and was able to make the opportunity and, and kind of recommend that I check out the company. And at the time, it was probably 2010. And it's like, oh, you would love the company. You walk in, the CEO has a guitar and there's a full band room. It's like totally up your up your alley. But I was like, no, no, it doesn't, and I, I don't get it. Cloud storage, what's that? And then uh, later, actually, I would come to use the product was a group of friends and I had went traveling and we lived all over the country in New York and Chicago and here in San Francisco. And we went on an international trip and we came back and one of my friends who was working in the advertising agency uh, world at the time, uh, kind of said in this verb-like way, like, how are we going to share all these photos and videos? And he was, oh, just Dropbox them to me. And there again, I heard Dropbox again and Dropbox them to me. What, what does that even mean? And so I went and checked out the product downloaded it, used it. And for someone who went to college in the USB hard drive era, uh, it kind of blew my mind. And I not only saw the potential as a as a consumer and personal user, but thought there'd be a lot of opportunity in the business world. I was still working in an era where we were faxing paperwork and, and documentation. So needless to say, this, this felt like it was uh, very futuristic. From there, I actually just applied online. And a woman I worked with as a client in my prior job was actually consulting for HR uh, at Dropbox and could vouch that, you know, I was um, 
I was good at my job at ADP and uh, it was a pretty long and arduous uh, interview process, but I joined Dropbox in July of 2011. Uh, There's 50 people in the company. I was the uh, second or second or third salesperson, and we were just about to launch uh, Dropbox for Teams, as, as you know well, Sheila, um, which I, I wouldn't say was an enterprise product, but it was a uh, group-based product early on. It, it was a Teams product. That, that's pretty much <laughs> all you can say. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell people now that they're looking to launch an enterprise product and only have single sign-on as their core value, and it, it uh, kind of takes me back to some of those early days. I, I think you have to have a little bit more of a rich product here if you want to sell a true enterprise product. So, yeah, that's what that's what brought me to Dropbox, and you know, feel like so fortunate to have uh, grown up there in so many ways. And pretty shortly thereafter, six months later, uh, we raised a quarter of a billion dollars at a four billion dollar valuation, and we grew probably faster than than most companies in Silicon Valley during that time. And I think the the one uh, most standout part of the experience at Dropbox was uh, building the network that we all got to build and getting to work with people like yourselves and so many other incredible people that pushed me, inspired me, and uh, ultimately gave me a lot of opportunities that maybe were for people uh, far more senior in their career and uh, gave me a chance to kind of show that I was capable of, of those things early on in, in, in my career. So you were within the first 50 people at Dropbox, and you were also the first 50 people at Figma. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So 50 seems to be the lucky number. Like I That's your number. I was right around the 50th employee. And so maybe there's something to be said in in product-led companies. You know, of course, you have to hire an incredible team of engineers and designers and product managers and have great co-founders to to build the company and the culture to that stage. But um, at both companies, I really joined at the brink of something starting to take off and understanding what the impact was on businesses and how people used their software in the workplace. And so for me, joining Figma to kind of continue the story, I, um, I always kind of tell the story of my first foray into UI and UX before I really even knew what that was, was at Dropbox when we were selling against Google and Microsoft and Box and all these other companies. And one of the core uh, elements that we were selling the product on was the intuitive nature of using it. There was a big concern around shelf software at the time and VPs of ITs or CIOs rolling out these uh, new cloud software technologies, and then only finding out that, you know, 12 months later, 24 months later, nobody was using it. And they were on the hook for these really large contracts that sometimes spanned over multiple years. Uh, and so for, for our sales pitch and how we were building and scaling the sales team at Dropbox, a lot of it was, you know, it's so easy to use. It looks just like your my documents. People are already using it in the workplace today. So Mr. or Mrs. CIO, when you actually buy the product and go to roll it out to your user base, there's not going to be that huge cost or lag time in terms of implementation and finding value. We think that your user base is going to kind of, you know, grab onto this technology and it's going to solve some really serious business problems uh, right out of the gates. And so that was when I saw UI and UX being really valuable. And then also at at Dropbox and a lot of other companies, uh, Airbnb and Uber and Twitter at that time, uh, design was always a critical function, but it wasn't as, as front of the house as it was during those years And we were making headline news when we were hiring people like Saleo, who's famous for designing the like button at Facebook, or hiring Rasmus, the first employee at Spotify. And these these people were making headline news in Business Insider and TechCrunch. And you could see in the office, and I I know you remember these days, but the designers 
were literally lead, leading the charge. They were the rock stars of the company. And both on the brand side and on the UI UX side, uh, design was was um, just so paramount to all of our success and, and a lot of our differentiation from uh, the huge incumbents that we were going after. And I mean, that set you up perfectly for where you are today at Figma, building for that audience specifically. And and there are so many parallels to draw from Dropbox to Figma, from product-led growth, as you said, to kind of the focus and elevation of, of design. Talk a little bit about, once you were at Figma, how you thought about really kind of doubling down on on the strengths on the growth side there. So, you know, obviously Figma has a very strong freemium user base that you're able to upsell. How did you think about that in the early days? Yeah. So when I, when I joined Figma, they didn't really have a customer facing team yet established. We had a support team and, and some people that are trying to think through customer success and, and some of the larger tail uh, business development relationships we were having. So it was a really fun time being the first person to come in and starting to build out like what does sales look like at this company? And I think there were a lot of parallels that I could take from Dropbox and there's a lot of differences, which was, which was the most fun part, to be honest. And we had, you know, five marquee beta customers using the product. None of them have signed contracts or, or done anything. And their usage and that engagement was, I think also what, what pushed Dylan and Evan, our co-founders to kind of bring in a sales leader like myself and then we had this fun challenge of taking companies like Microsoft and Uber and Airbnb and Square, where Figma was starting to take off. And, and, then, and they were like working solely in Figma and move their entire product development teams to Figma, but no contract in place, no commercial terms, no order forms, all of the you know non-sexy stuff of building the initial days of a sales team and, and really like a, a go-to-market machine that, that supports growth in the enterprise. So early on, my biggest thing was honestly to come in and learn the product as best I could. So I knew selling cloud software, I knew the value of collaboration in real time. And, you know, I'd been doing that for a long time at Dropbox, but what I didn't know was the history of design tools. I didn't know, you know, the ins and outs of Figma as a product and as a platform. And so Dylan was super supportive of that early on and actually asked me to spend my first four weeks on the support team. Our support team at Figma is amazing. And and you get so much nuanced detail in what our users and our customers are asking us to solve on the support side that you're forced to, to learn some really nitty-gritty aspects of the product and also understand some of the challenges that actually helped me understand like in terms of billing and growth and moving from a free product to a uh, our pro tier, which is more of like a consumer small groups of users, to our enterprise tier, what some of the challenges that we were going to face down the road. And I feel really grateful that I had that time. And, you know, looking back on it, where we are today, the sales org is almost 50 people globally. You never get that time again. And so one of the benefits of early days is you you have time and you should be patient to really understand from first principles, how is the business set up, run and operate? And what do your users and customers look like? And then you can kind of dictate, you know, the initial sales strategy off of that. That's such a good practice to to really immerse yourself in the product and, and the customer to, to, to spend a month with the support team. What was the most surprising thing that you learned in that time? Well, first off, I'm not as patient as I probably wish I was or, or thought I was. So, you know, when you're in the role of building and scaling sales teams, you're you're moving fast. You want results. You love the 
the full loop of building, scaling, and then the execution, and then the celebration. Hopefully, if you're if you're successful in what you're doing, and so just taking a step back, watching YouTube videos, trying to build, you know, mobile apps and certain things in the product, understanding all these nuances. It was a different pace, but you know, I, I forced myself to do it, and I knew that if things started to pick up soon thereafter. I would never have the chance to go back and, and, and uh, learn this again. And I think also once once I had that understanding, it wasn't just about learning the product. It really gave me the opportunity to build an authentic relationship, not just with the support team, who's amazing, and, I, and I've been able to carry that on, but also with engineers and, and our product managers and all of the people that not only are critical relationships to have for any early stage sales leader, but for me specifically, I got a chance to spend time with designers, product managers, engineers, which is the core trilogy of, of personas that we sell the product to. So we get to ask a lot of questions like, okay, take away Figma. You're a designer and I'm trying to talk to a designer at, at Google or Microsoft. Tell me about how you think about design critiques. How do you think about uh, agile product development? How do you work with developers and where's that relationship flawed? And of course, even though we were a lot smaller then, how do you use Figma? You know, And how should we be educating and narrating the value to our customers in that way. Um, and so I think early on, I, I just got to be really immersed cross-functionally because there was no sales team. We hired uh, a couple account executives early on, but for the first six months, it was a sales org of three, which allowed us to just do a lot of work in establishing a really solid foundation. And then 2019 is when things really started to, to take off. That's such great advice for, for leaders who are looking to build a sales org in a product-led growth type of company. And I want to dig into that further because that's, you know, Figma is such a phenomenal example of success in that area, largely because of, of you, Kyle, and your efforts. And so I want to understand, how do you build a sales org to take advantage of you know, the, the growth in the, the freemium user base? Like, how do you, where do you start? What did you do first? How did you think about building that sales motion and the sales function? A couple of things that I would say were, were key. And, and one, if you have a great product-led business and you've hopefully gotten to some, some level of product market fit, you've probably got some pent-up demand or some inbound lead interest that's probably been overlooked. So my first order of business was to make sure that anyone that ever expressed interest in Figma's enterprise product or was on a beta today, we were talking to, we were understanding how they're using the product, and we were following up to basically take them through more of a handheld sales process, which just didn't exist before uh, at Figma. And so a lot of it was focusing on how do we not only take anyone that has been uncontacted in the past however many months or years, hopefully not, and also think about moving forward, if we're going to have a healthy inbound business, our core metric should be what is the conversion rate of those people coming to us and how do we make that as high as we possibly can. The second piece, and this is something that, that, did, that was guided from my experience at Dropbox, when you have a bottoms-up business like, like a Dropbox or a, a Figma or Asana or Slack or others, you have so much interesting data across all these companies and domains because people are bringing it into the workplace and they're starting with a project and maybe sharing it with Sheila and Sheila's sharing it with someone else. And you know that's how it all kind of starts. And what we realized at Dropbox was that data is invaluable, not only to understand um, across the market where people are using it, where you're getting a lot of energy and high adoption rates, but as you start to build structure and segment around an inbound business and then an outbound business, which I'll talk about in a second, we did something pretty interesting. I worked with Prevere, who actually worked together with the Dropbox, and he was kind of my partner in crime. 
in building a model within our CRM of Salesforce that pushed all of the data across all of these domains in aggregate into our Salesforce instance. So for example, as we start to hire sales reps, as we're round robining those early leads, you can see the name of the company, let's say Uber, anyone that signed up with an uber.com email address, a lot of the aggregate stats across the domain, and we're refreshing that every three hours. So that data is not stale, it's not static. You can segment and, and structure how you want to like approach your territory analysis or your outbound approach or whatever it may be off of that data. What we also did was put the, the four key personas that we identified and we would be able to kick out their email address. And so, for example, if Sheila was building a design system and created the most components in Figma at Uber, we could see your email address. And so the idea being that aggregate domain data, the champions that were, were driving a lot of that change in energy of use of the product internally, and ultimately the, to complete the triangle, sales needs to find out who are the decision makers how do we bring the story to them in a compelling way and understand, of course, and ask a lot of questions on the discovery side, what's important to them? Do they think they have a tooling problem? Is it a workflow problem? Is it a you know distribution of team globally that they're not sure how to solve for and maybe technology can help there? So early on, that's what we did that was really critical and it allowed us to be hyper-focused on the accounts where we're already seeing a lot of adoption and interest and in focusing on converting those. And it gets easier as you go on. I shouldn't say easier, but the more you convert in those early phases, you get more social proof points of, wow, Figma is not only the design platform of the future, but they can handle orgs of our size and complexity. And so I think that coupled with realizing one of the big flips for us was being able to distribute a design system globally with a few clicks of a button in the browser allowed us to rapidly scale to true enterprise and support companies the likes of J.P. Morgan Chase and Google and Microsoft and Goldman Sachs and, and, and so many more. Wow. There's so much to un- unpack there uh, that you walked us through. So interesting and, and smart the way that you tackled this. So l- let me start with the the data piece. So were you, you basically built a system where in Salesforce, you were able to get an aggregate view at the domain level of activity, and then you could decide based on your personas, who to engage with at that organization? Is that, is that kind of how you thought about it? Yeah. And once we started hiring people um, at, a, at a pretty rapid pace, we we're able to build territories that were fair and equitable based off of usage in the territory. And so we had a, a healthy amount of people raising their hands and saying, hey, tell me more about Figma Enterprise. And the, and the core focus there was conversion of those hand raisers and people that were interested in hearing more about the product. And then the rest was building a territory model off of internal usage. And so how do you basically, instead of like a lead scoring system, build a domain scoring system so that we can understand all the key pieces that go into an account and where they're at in their journey of trying out Figma or or maybe even using it pretty consistently so that we can go and and tell them the enterprise story, knowing that, you know, if there's already energy before we get to that next phase of our growth, we want to spend time with people that someone internally gets the value of Figma and has brought it internally. So they were a foot in the door and then our job is to guide the experience. And I think the last thing I will say about early stage is you have to understand your buyer and your market. And we work with designers and they're amazing and they love to self-educate and are technical by nature. And so a lot of the hands-on deep dive aspects of, of, of learning Figma, they take on their own, but they're also new to the buying process. There hasn't been many companies that sell solely through design. And so there's an opportunity to kind of 
create and establish a really special brand where we are seen as someone that understands our audience and our buyers and work with them to make sure that there's bought in on Figma being the design platform of the future as, as we are. Wow, Kyle, that's so fascinating. You guys have basically built the gold standard of custom lead qualification for for Figma based off of data that you already had on users. And then you built an intelligent outbound business on top of that. So how did you how did you build the outbound piece now that you had the leads data in a really smart way? Yeah, it's a good question and a very timely one. I feel like as we enter, you know, we're we're mid Q4 ending the year and it's it's been an amazing kind of banner growth year for the company and and we're looking to finish it as strong as we can but we are fully anyone who's led early stage sales teams or been a part of early stage marketing teams knows where we're at we're making that transition to to continue to be even more aggressive and not live solely off of inbound opportunities and, and people raising their hands and so the way that we think about the next phase of outbound before just knocking on on cold accounts and, and trying to drum up interest that way is now that we have 50 people, you know, uh, give or take in the sales or globally, we've built those territory models so that they are well distributed. And you will have a bunch of companies that have different level of engagement and different levels of champions. And as you start to build an outbound playbook, we just built and, and launched in the start of Q4, we're starting to see amazing results. It's no surprise. We've got an incredible product that's you know, already at product market fit. We've got some of the most notable logos and, and, and companies and organizations that we work with around the world. And the rest is, uh, you know, also understanding that in, in current times in COVID, if you weren't thinking about bringing your design team into the modern era, working in the cloud, enabling all of the collaboration that Figma does, you're definitely thinking about it now. And so we've found out from a lot of large organizations that maybe didn't come to us on the outbound side, they were caught a little flat footed. There's a lot of companies that you know, maybe aren't in Silicon Valley and, and aren't remote first and aren't able to just take their laptop anywhere they go and grab Wi-Fi and do their jobs. And so reaching out to those people at this time not only helps us grow our business, but we we genuinely feel that we're solving a real, real world problem for them. And everybody's thinking about what is my digital experience? How are my digital products being built? And, um, you know, any way I can get a leg up or understand how our teams can work better together, I'm, I'm willing to listen to that right now. Kyle, I think we're getting a little taste right now of why you're such a good sales leader. We're we're starting to see the magic that's that's behind the the growth of Figma. But I want to dig into one other question that is, you know, that's common at you know, com- product-led growth companies and as as you start scaling, and that's the original champion of the product. So in this case the designer may not be all of the people that need to be sold in the organization. At Dropbox, it was IT. I'm sure there are other parties at Figma that need that are part of the sale, but are not the the original driver. And so how how did you tackle that? Yeah. And you know, uh, first thanks for the kind words, but honestly, it's it's really just being a part of an incredible team. And so I think for us, even before we get to those initial champions, what Figma as a business has done so so well is being able to build a community marketing platform that's global, that supports our users, that lifts them to understand you know, how we're thinking about design moving forward, listening to them on their feedback, taking that into account, and um, giving them a voice to kind of speak to a community that maybe wasn't as connected, especially online as we all are today. So 
We've got designer advocates, for example, who are designers by trade that work with our customers in kind of evaluating Figma and making the switch over to Figma. And so they are critical to our success and our growth. And they also do a lot in, in building content and, and helping qualm people's fears because anyone that's trying to get someone to try out new software has to deal with change management. But back to your original question, I think a lot of our core champions are designers or design systems designers. And so if you're not familiar with design systems, um, you know, it's a very complex and, and fast growing kind of arena, but any element of building a design system across all of a company's different products down to how you set up, you know, your wireframes for your mobile apps, for your websites, your font styles, your color schemes, everything. And so everyone is thinking about how do I get more consistency at scale? And a lot of that is actually driven by a design system and a design systems team. And so what Figma does, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, is we allow you we solve pain in a really big way where previously you had to rely on like a cloud storage device, let's say Dropbox, since we both work there, but you'd have to share a sketch file over Dropbox, distribute it. I'm in San Francisco, you're in Tokyo. Hey, Sheila, are you working on the latest version of your design system? And it was a really hard loop to close. And now with Figma, in a couple of clicks, you can publish your new design system and we can change our brand colors from red and white to purple and pink and all of the fonts that we use throughout our entire uh, digital experience. And everyone's using the latest version of that. And that is what solves like these, these enterprise problems at scale. And I think for us, it's, it's leveraging these champions to understand their problems and understand that they kind of get it with Figma. Um, and then we're at now is what does that mean for our executive pitch and narrative? Why should CIOs care, CTOs, CDOs, chief design officers and, and chief product officers. And I think that, is more where our sales motion and, and just kind of go-to-market strategy is heading is selling the value of investing in your design team, investing in your design org, and showing the real-life impact it has on, on the bottom line. And there's a lot of studies you know, across the S&P 500 and design-led companies you know, outperform the rest of the market by X percent. And so it's, it's something that everyone is kind of waking up to, but we wouldn't be able to tell the story as authentically without the champions within these accounts that that find value in their day-to-day and are, and are willing to say, hey, I love Figma and shout it to the rooftops or, you know, in more designer fashion, shout it, shout it on Twitter. Fascinating. And w- one more question on, on your model. When you were putting in place both the, I'll call it inbound and outbound pieces, but I'm sure you have a, a better term that you use. How did you know that it was working. What were the early metrics or how did you how did you get a sense that you were on the right path in terms of the go-to-market motion on, on both sides? Yeah. So on the inbound side, I, I think again the North Star metric we were always looking at is what is our conversion rate of these people that are coming to us. And so there's a lot of things in terms of, you know, lead to response time, making sure that we were staffing up a team that was seen as consultants to our customers. And so one of the challenges and staffing up a sales team selling a design platform is I always uh, you know tell people or in our board meetings, it's the Venn diagram of amazing SaaS salespeople and people that have experience using and or selling a design product. You know, there's not a, there's not a ton of overlap there. And so a lot of our enablement isn't on just being an amazing salesperson, which is a part of it. It's also around understanding the design ecosystem. And that's not just like where it is today and where it's going. It's a little bit about knowing the history over the past 10 years. And all of that legacy information, to a certain degree, is really valuable. And so I think 
on the inbound side, we had to make sure that we were seen as credible consultants with a technical aptitude to understand where our customers were, being able to articulate the value of Figma, our roadmap, where we were heading, and ultimately get people to try it out. And so I think one of the biggest tools that we've found, and I think any strong product and any like well-built product-led business will do, is getting customers onto a trial. And so the hardest thing that we have to do is getting you to try us from a Sketch or an Adobe or whatever it may be. But if we do that and we create the right environment to check in on you and make sure that things are going well and give you all of the content and materials to get the most out of Figma in a very short time, the conversion rate and the sales experience from a customer perspective, you know, they, they just start start clicking. And, and that's when you see the results, both in terms of customer acquisition, revenue growth, expansion. We're very much a land and expand business. And so our expansion rates, I think, in the first year across our entire customer base, all of our customers more than double. And that speaks to the nature of the product, but also the relationship that we keep on going once they're on the platform. It's not, hey, great, Sheila, I sold to you. I converted you to the enterprise product and we disappear. You always have one very clear point of contact at Figma. And that's something that's really important to us. On the outbound side, it's, it's developing a different narrative. Those people, you know, there may be less uh, evangelical champions. There may be less champions that have sway. Or there may be no champions at all, just some people that are poking around and downloading Figma because their friend told them they should. And so I think for us there, you know, when there is usage, we actually call it proactive outreach, not to mince, uh, you know, words with marketing terms. But I think the focus there is really on what is the short form value to get you know, key decision maker or champion to give you some time of day to basically have a discovery call. I think all good sales processes start uh, with a discovery call. I can't sell you something effectively unless I understand your personal challenges, your business, your scope of role and responsibility, why this would make sense to do now or, 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 or later. And once we're able to develop that effective messaging and that, and that narrative, we've worked on the pitch you know, I, I was joking around with a woman on our enterprise sales team, and she joined pretty early and got to live off the healthy inbound for so long. And it was a little hesitant. You know, it's a, it's a transition for a salesperson to, to hit their numbers and achieve their goals. And she's, she pings me the other day on Slack, and she's like, wow, outbound. It just works, you know. And so that's kind of a tagline that we're, we're circulating internally is like, it just works. We have all the intangibles that you need to develop a strong outbound sales process and and, and leg of our business. And so now it's just creating energy and sharing these anecdotes of what messaging works, what are we trying differently, and how are we identifying the people within these companies to go tell the story to, which is, you know, of course, comes back to that data model that we built early and, and that we're really getting to leverage now to its full potential. It's clear that you're on such a roll here in the way that you've not only built your team, but also leveraged the inherent strengths of the business. What's next for you as you think about the future and and the team and really kind of building the go-to-market piece? Yeah, it's a good question. And so, um, you know, I think early stage, every win feels like a huge win and, and, and they're easy to celebrate and rally. And there's so many firsts. You know, our first customer in this vertical, our first customer of this size, our, you know, our first customer in this part of the world. And, you know, we've, we've been able to uh, enjoy a lot of that growth and a lot of those like uh, mini milestones. I think looking forward, as we start to see more and more people use Figma within an organization, 
uh, it creates more challenges. And so one of my favorite kind of stats of our business is that only 50% of monetized users identify as designers. And so you have this whole other portion of people that are paying for Figma at their company to use it, and they don't identify as a designer. And so, you know, you'll see a lot of engineers and product managers and people from marketing and brand and others. And, and that creates an opportunity to really start to have more editors in our case, which is what the paid user of Figma within an organization, and then get more on the executive level of the CIOs and the CTOs and starting to realize that there's a lot more opportunity than just the core design use case within Figma. And so I think what we've gotten an opportunity to do a little bit earlier than, than most because we have such a phenomenal board is leverage uh, our VC partners and setting up a lot of amazing introductions and calls with some some big executives at Fortune 500s around the world where we get to kind of craft and practice and work on our executive pitch, the ROI there, and, and take it a little bit of a higher view and a little bit more abstract because maybe these CIOs and CTOs and CEOs don't care as much about you know, the impact to their uh, product design teams, but they do care about digital innovation and the impact to their broader business and uh, how they can be more efficient, how they can be more effective, and how they can understand some of these massive trends that Figma's, you know, being a, becoming a bit, huge part of that's happening and disrupting across the entire workforce. And so I think going into 2021, we're not going to lose focus of what we have working today and continue to invest in uh, our people and, and their futures and their career paths. But I think we have a really big opportunity to couple our community marketing machine with an enterprise marketing machine that allows us to tell the story at a really high level and talk about some of these companies and, and, and partners that we support today, the value we bring them and, and spread it beyond the early adopters of, uh, of tech. That's the land and expand that you were talking about times a hundred, basically. <laughs> I love land and expand. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. Kyle, drop some words of wisdom on us. So you've been able to build such, such a successful engine at one of the best product-led growth companies, what advice do you have to founders or early go-to-market hires in building a similar engine? So many people are trying to copy the Figma model. What advice do you have for them? Well, I would say it's, it's really different for each business founder and, and, and stage of growth that they're at. I think it's understanding what is the influence they think sales could have what is the relationship that sales plays with their customer journey and, and, and impact? Is it focus on, you know, net new acquisition or expansion or, you know, another part of, of the business? And then understanding that uh, when you do get to a certain point and you feel like you have conviction for product market fit, you know that there's room to have a sales team and have a really large impact in your business and maybe hire your first five salespeople, then I would encourage those people to bring in a sales leader that not only can, can build a sales team and execute on the revenue target, but really works cross-functionally and really wants to understand the culture that that company has been building over the past few years, add to it as you evolve and as the company grows and, and make sure that that person understands what it takes to build and, and take early initial signals like we talked about in this call and, and turn that into actionable, executionable results and, and, and then you know, you hire great people on top of it. And uh, hopefully other people can kind of have that Figma trajectory as well. 
such helpful advice for for people who are looking to make those early hires or put in place some of the structure that you have around capitalizing on the inbound demand. It is now time for my favorite part of the show. It's the part where I get to fire questions at you and you have to answer the the first thing that's top of mind, our fire round. So we will get into that now. Get ready for it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So I'm literally just going to shout questions at you. You have about 10 seconds to answer. Okay. Yep. All right. Question number one, what's your favorite sales or growth technology? This may sound like a cop out, but I would say Salesforce. It's a technology I love to hate, but as things get more complex, I try and push as much data into Salesforce so reps can spend less time in all the tools. Good answer. Tell us about a secret sales hack that you've used. There's a hack that I learned at Dropbox called strip lining that I think is really interesting. And it's basically repeating to a customer or anyone in in your personal life, whatever it may be, in a way that they want to walk away from something or they don't want something. There's a psychology experiment at play. And if you say like, oh, well, it sounds like you're not interested in this this quarter. And then they'll usually get back in their house. Oh, actually, I am interested in this. They actually tell you way more than they originally intend to. So I recommend uh, giving strip lining a try. I actually sat in on that seminar where where the sales team was learning about strip lining. I have to say, it's useful in every part of your life with yeah. your kids, with your spouse, with <laughs> other things. I strip line everyone. Yeah. It sounds like you don't want to eat your dinner right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. What's the most helpful resource you've found on growing a company? The thing that I've seen is hiring incredible talent. Nothing um, breathes more air into like an early stage business with promise than hiring good people that ideally brings an element of expertise and, you know, uh, a diverse set of skills and backgrounds. But bringing in great people solves so many problems. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. What is your superpower? I, I feel like I can guess, but I, I want to hear what you're going to say. Oh, man, I'd love to hear what you think. I think my, my superpower, um, and something that I've worked at over time, is just being a really good listener and, and, and being really present and, and getting to know people. Um, it, it really comes from a genuine place. That one thing I love about tech and, and startups and the world we work in is that the Kyle you see in the workplace is the Kyle you'll see outside of work. And being able to be my full self every single day is something I'm super grateful for. Oh, I love that. All right. Now we're going to do overrated, underrated, but we're just going to do overrated because that's more fun. (laughs) What's the most overrated collaboration app? Uh, There's a lot of people that probably disagree. And maybe this is, you know, comes with my Dropbox experience or others, but I do not love working in Google Docs or building Google Docs. I feel like it, it, uh, you know, the experience is not delightful at this point. When it first came out, huge fan, game changing, but I think people that are still stuck on Google Docs need to, need to move on. Agree on that one. What's the most overrated social media app? Oh, man, social media. I mean, I'm, I'm getting old, so I'm not really up on all the social media. But I feel like TikTok, you know, is it really worth all the hype? Uh, I, I don't have a TikTok <laughs> account. And they're actually phenomenal customers of Figma. So I hope they don't read this. But I'm supportive of their growth. And I think it's awesome. But, you know, it, it seems like a flash in the pan. But I could be very wrong. Well, that you're going to have a couple hundred million people in the U.S. that disagree with you on that one. <laughs> and what about tech trend? Most overrated tech trend? Oh, tech trend. You know, I think one thing that I think we need to, to understand and uh, get better at is like death by meeting. So I think we're all feeling it extra uh, in the Zoom era right now during COVID. But how do we create more 
time for people and, and, and senior leaders and executives and, and anyone in a company to have more time to do the core work and, and not be in meetings uh, 10 hours a day all day. Yeah. When you solve that, could you tell me? Because I need that too. <laughs> Kyle, thank you so much for the time that you spent today. You've shared such wisdom from your early days at Dropbox and Figma, how you put in place some of the structures around data and people to capitalize on an incredibly strong product-led growth business, and even you know how you think about building teams over time and selling into companies by leveraging the most passionate customers and champions. Uh, We've learned so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, so good to reconnect with you, Sheila. Thanks again. This was awesome. And uh, yeah. Kyle, where can people find you? Oh, man, this sounds corporate. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do have a Twitter account, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of a ghost follower. So if anyone you know wants to talk about any of this or, or wants to know more about Figma, please find me uh, on LinkedIn. I would love to chat. Awesome. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks, Sheila. Thank you all for tuning in to hear from our amazing guest today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to keep in touch, please follow me on Twitter at Sheila Vashi or shoot me an email at Sheila at basisset.ventures. And if you want to hear more, we'll be posting episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud every week. So check it out. See you next week.